0: Welcome to Movie Ghoul Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Joining me for the third episode of the season for Movie Ghoul Round 2022 Nicole Davis, how are you?
1: Good, I'm excited to talk about this barrel of laughs and good fun and lightheartedness
0: It's just a poignant family drama that everyone can enjoy Bring the grandparents Uh, David Luzader, you were subjected to a movie you really didn't want to see How are you?
2: I'm fine listen i I can recognize the art of horror, and it's actually I do enjoy horror films um, but I am not speaking to Nicole for a while, so I guess we'll just have to navigate that Ooh.
1: i I get it
0: yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to use me as an intermediary here well, uh movie ghoul around is is well underway before we do proceed and talk about this movie i do want to announce next week's movie if you'd like to follow along and keep the spooky season rolling with us uh it is an around the world pick next week it is my pick weirdly enough i was thinking about the other day we ran into the exact same cadence as last movie go (sighs) round, our movie ghoul round because we all picked the same themes last year, so we just so happened to fall into that. So, in any case, I picked an around the world film, and we are going to be watching a film from. I'm trying to remember where?
1: Guatemala. I think
0: Guatemala. That's right. Um, and it's La It is the La Llorona came out in 2019. That is the good one, not the curse, which is the one that came out as part of the Conjuring series. So, be sure to check it out came out in 2019. It is a Guatemalan film. It is really cool and and scary in its own way. But this movie is scary in a lot of ways. Uh, Hereditary came out in 2018 when the matriarch of the Graham family passes away. Her daughter and grandchildren begin to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry, trying to outrun the sinister fate they have inherited. So, Nicole. Yeah. Future classic, give us the quick pitch on Hereditary. I know this is widely regarded as a masterpiece, but your opinion, go.
1: <laughs> oh, no, it's a masterpiece. Um, Basically, <laughs> it's just... Number one, Ari Aster is an incredible craftsman when it comes to making his films. He's right. in perfect control of the shots, the script gets great actors, great performances, and this story we'll get into it as one of our topics, but it's even if there was no nothing occult in it, I think it would still qualify as a horror movie because of the family dynamics and what goes on in this film. but it is so beautifully shot it really builds this atmosphere of dread throughout. Ending in a climax that is wild and loud. To say the Um,
2: least. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) right. (laughs) Uh, Compared to the rest of the film. And I remember leaving the theater feeling sort of uh, blasted. I don't know if that makes sense as a term. Sort of having like I'd been standing in a windstorm that had suddenly ceased. Maybe. Sure. That sort of feeling. And thinking, well, wow, I'm super glad I saw that. I never have to see it again. And that's probably a good thing. And then, you know, this came around and I'm like, ah, we really need to talk about it. (laughs) I really need to talk about it. I mean, it's it's widely regarded, at least in horror circles, as the best horror movie of the
0: 2010s. Mm. Right. Right. It totally is. And it was Ari Aster's first feature film, you know, coming off of several, you know, smaller short films and stuff that had Mm. won him various acclaim at festivals. Other things were also fairly dark if you've seen some of his other short films.
1: (laughs) I would not recommend. This was me. I compounded my error after watching Hereditary again on Friday by seeking out Ari Aster's grad student thesis film The Strange Truth About the Johnsons? Oh no. I do not recommend doing that for uh, anyone.
0: <laughs> that is the um the the parental rate film, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, so oh. you know, trigger warnings all over the place for that.
0: Big yikes. Yeah, Ari Aster Dude, what's going on? Um, but, yeah, I mean, but, this
1: film is actually somewhat lighter in tone by comparison.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've only ever seen this in Midsummer of his, but um, right.
1: So he's getting he's getting lighter as he goes along. Maybe the next movie will be a comedy. Is he though? <laughs>
0: I mean Midsummer is visually lighter, but I don't know if it's tonally any lighter
1: there's at least some humor in midsummer there is there's not very much if any humor in this movie
0: no, none so yeah, <laughs> I wanted to kind of say at the top, I saw this movie when it came out as well, and to compare it to a movie that's not nearly as good but gave me the same the same sense of leaving the theater was mother, which we've talked about, which <laughs> was just I just mm-hmm. felt exhausted leaving both of these movies i felt like i had been through this whirlwind with these families and i was just so exhausted of it and it was emotionally draining to watch and I, i hereditary does it infinitely better but i remember being so drained by the family dynamic that by the time some of the more the more horrific stuff comes in toward the very end I I was kind of waiting for it to come earlier I think last time I saw this so I I think the slow burn of some of the more horror elements caused me not to like it as much the first time I saw it but coming into it with fresh eyes a second time and realizing just how horrific the family dynamic is on its own to Nicole's point uh, I did enjoy it much more as much as someone can enjoy Tony Collette's slowly unraveling demise slowly so I did appreciate revisiting it.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad that you feel like you got more out of it this time.
0: Oh, yeah. So much more. Uh, David Luzader, did you watch this with the lights on?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this this was a movie that I watched in some very comfortable settings. And, and and I could have watched this probably like if I'd sat down in an evening. I really think that I, I could have. I think that... I, I have been portrayed as much more of like a scaredy cat, uh, through my talkings on this podcast than I truly am. Um, like <laughs> I could have watched this on an, like horror movies don't stick with me in that way that people are like, well, I saw this movie and then couldn't sleep for like two days. Right, right. I'm like, mm. while I'm in the moment, I'm like, uh, and then out of it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that was terrifying. Great. Cool. Right, uh, what's, right. what else is going on with my life? But, but yeah, I, I did watch this in some comfortable settings, and I mean, yeah, I knew like I knew the acting was highly praised in this movie. I know Ari Aster has a really um, high reputation and it was fun kind of looking into some of the trivia to see how much they tried to do like practically like the chalkboard mm. scene yeah. is a practical effect, um, which like that's something you can easily do with CG these days and make it look fine. But, you know, they went still went and did that as a practical effect. So it's just like. Uh, I can appreciate so much like the craftsmanship on all these different levels and I I really like I really did like the opening shot where it's panning across all these miniatures Mm. and it goes to the house and it pushes in and it's filmed in a way that it still seems like you're looking into a miniature house right but it is like now you're into the movie the things are actually happening. Yeah,
0: yeah. The motif of the building, you know, building the miniatures and the house functioning as a dollhouse, and everything feeling increasingly cla- claustrophobic and insulated as the movie goes on and on, uh, works really effectively. Mm-hmm. That's for darn sure, right?
1: It makes you feel like the people who live in the house are like dolls being manipulated by somebody else, right? Like yeah. they
0: can't leave. You know, like this, this is going to happen no matter what. Is is kind of the vibe I get when I watch this movie the second time around. So let's dive into some of our discussion topics. We got a bunch of good ones here. Nicole, you had mentioned this a little bit at the top that this movie would still qualify as horror even if there weren't any occult themes in it. Things like grief, mental illness, uh, generational trauma. These are all tough themes to deal with. But do they get? Do they go down easier inside of a genre film? Uh, kind of two separate topics there. I kind of combine them there, but. Yeah, I would agree that (laughs) at least the way Charlie dies would qualify as a horror film. That (sighs) instantly makes the movie a horror film to me. Oh, my God.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: remember that being a big surprise. I think I saw this. I don't know if it was opening weekend or the weekend after, but people were being very good about not spoiling anything in it at the time. And the marketing for this movie really focuses on Charlie. Yeah, it does Super heavily You think she's going to be the main character of the film, basically And then she dies 35 minutes into the movie Yeah,
2: about about one-fourth of the way into the film, she's gone
1: Yeah
0: And just so abruptly, oh my god (sighs) Oh my god,
2: yeah
1: And there's no question, you know, there's no ambiguity You see her head fly off, although it's like in dim light
2: yeah and then they you just and later,
1: so you know what happened. there's no question about what happened, and I you think, think the, you're gonna get away with not having to look at it.
0: <laughs> I think the worst part of the entire of the entire scene for me is that Peter's response to this is like, all right, I'm just gonna leave this in the car <laughs> i I can't deal with this. He's so traumatized yeah like, what i I know, I know, I know there's no but just Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) I get why. I get why. You know, it's this hugely traumatic thing. He's, number one, he's deeply stoned at the time that this happened. Right, right, right. So he's already, you know... He's detached
2: from reality a bit. Right.
1: He's detached from reality. He's at high risk for paranoia. Sure. And then this horrible thing happens on the way to the hospital and... He's got no idea how to deal with it. So he just flips into denial completely. Yeah,
2: I th- I think there's a part of him that like if I go upstairs and I go lie down, this
0: never happened. Charlie yeah. will be
2: there in the morning.
1: I'll wake up. Yeah, she'll yeah. be
2: there. But like he doesn't sleep because the reality of the situation is right. far too horrifying. And yeah, I mean I, I really like the part when Annie discovers the body and like it's all off screen and we just hear it like while we're looking at Peter's face cuz he is like mm. preparing you know himself sure, to deal sure. with the consequences I thought that part was really well done. I didn't need them to then cut to Charlie's head <laughs> on the side of the road. Uh, that was extremely unnecessary, in my opinion. <laughs> Covered
1: with ants.
0: Yeah. And, oh my uh, God. Yeah. No kidding. Bloody and
1: gross. Yeah. Like I said, just when you think you're going to get away with not having to look at the goriest bits, he just like shoves your face in it.
2: And that's where I would probably take a little bit of umbrage with it. Like, I the horror is not enhanced by showing me her head. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't feel like that was necessary personally. I was like, okay, okay, great. Now I'm just like, okay, great. That's disgusting. Thanks.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure it's necessary for the horror, but I think it's in there because of the symbolism of the, three heads when you when you look in the book the image of king payman he's carrying three heads
2: yeah and i know like uh, on his camel there's a lot of foreshadowing in this movie all around
0: yeah this movie leans Mm -hmm. really heavily into the heads doesn't it (laughs) just across all
2: fronts she decapitates the bird
1: i did want to mention before we move on from the scene with the head is (laughs) it's a very clever transition from scene to scene With Annie's discovery of the body, while we're looking at Peter's face, Mm. you know, you hear her start to scream. She continues to scream when we smash cut to Charlie's head. And then you hear her continuing to scream and cry as, you know, Steve's trying to console her on the floor. And then she's continuing to cry as we see Charlie's, you know, interment as they're at the gravesite. Hey everybody, just letting you know I cheated this down a little bit for length. Do you really want to hear two and a half minutes of crying? No, I didn't think so.
2: Ah! 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 Oh no! Oh my god! Ah! Ah! Oh no! I can't! I can't! I can't. And 好
1: And it just that piece of sound design carries you through all these transitions and just lets you know that this is an like an unending nightmare for Annie.
2: Right. Yeah. Time is passing and it's not getting better for her.
0: Right. And Tony yeah. Collette kills it in terms of traumatized daughter slash mother that is dealing with just a lot of shit right now. I mean, when when he wrote this film, Tony Collette was the first person they delivered the script to and she signed on right away with it.
2: And Tony Collette to further praising Ari Aster said he was the most prepared director she's ever worked with. Really? Yeah.
0: I would totally buy that. This is the kind of movie that makes you feel like this man had everything plotted out mm-hmm. down to the minutia of every scene.
1: Right. Well, in some ways he had to especially with the uh, the physical design because they had to get everything to the miniaturist so that he right. could build the miniatures to match everything that was going to be in the movie.
0: Right, right. But but going back to the original topic there, I, I do agree with you, Nicole, that I think there are a lot of horror elements, even without the occult themes, or even without some of the more grotesque sections of the film. There was this really interesting study that was done about a year ago, where what they did was they took 2,500 people and they had them watch 10 different scary films that are l- regarded largely by, by the community to be some of the scariest films ever made. And they had them track their heart rates through these films. And what they discovered was that by this barometer, Hereditary is the scariest movie of all time, <laughs> that their heart rates throughout the film averaged at 115 BPM which is the highest of anything that was watched. And it was noted by by survey respondents that even though there aren't too many explicitly terrifying moments in the movie, the pervasively sinister and dark atmosphere of the film proved enough to make hairs stand up throughout. And just just for because it's interesting, uh, this was then followed by Saw, The Babadook, Insidious, A Quiet Place, The Descent, <laughs> Us, It, The Conjuring 2, and The Exorcist.
1: Uh, now, that kind of surprises me a little bit. Well, I don't know. Th- because A Quiet Place, at least in the theater, was an ext- one of the most tense theater experiences I've ever yeah, had.
0: That, yeah, I would agree with
2: that's that. That's kind of an odd qualify. I mean, I guess if you're like just tense, I guess that's horror. Like tense and gripping the seat and wondering what's going to happen next. Like, I think we're entering this phase in horror where tension is sort of the the horror, right? Like, jump scares mm-hmm. were in vogue for a while. Now it's just like, how uncomfortable can you feel as an audience member <laughs> right. uh, before something yeah. happens? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I am glad that jump scares are going out of vogue, though. I know we talked about that last oh, week with, with Dr. Sleep. Something I plan on watching this evening or tomorrow is, you know, we've talked a little bit about already some of the practical effects in this film, And that's the other thing I'm glad that horror is starting to lean really heavily into recently, which is they're getting into a lot of practical effects again. That seems to be a trend across the board. Um, I don't know what spurred that. I mean, I know that around the time that the sequel trilogy got released, they leaned really heavily into a lot of practical effects because of the backlash from the prequels and Star Wars. And it seems like ever since then, people have just been working more with practical effects. But apparently, Hulu's... New Hellraiser, their their reboot of Hellraiser oh, yeah. is phenomenal. Everyone says it's amazing and that the practical effects are unbelievable and that it is a complete travesty that this thing is not in theaters. So, uh shout out to that this, ha- this Halloween season if you want to watch that. I'm going to check it out this week.
2: Nice. I'm going to be watching Werewolf by Night and and seeing if they actually can pull off the classic looking horror movie thing in an effective way or if it's going to feel gimmicky the whole time.
0: Oh, yeah. I need to check that out.
2: It's an MCU little Marvel horror short that I'm right. very excited about. Oh. But it's got a Gabriel... Oh, what's his name? Anyway, continue. Sorry.
0: <laughs> so back to MCU to grief, mental illness, and generational trauma. All things that the MCU <laughs> deals with in spades.
2: Iron Man 3. Right. This movie's got so much of it.
1: Yeah. I'm just saying that this is horror because there are other movies you can see that talk about you know grief and mental illness and generational trauma. You know, You could watch Ordinary People... So sure. you would never call it a horror movie, but it deals with some of the same themes in a really heavy way also. And I'm just Yeah. I would have thought horror in general it tends to be a really handy vehicle for people to use to process trauma, you know, that right. talks about trauma in a largely symbolic way. And I think that's why a lot of people like it. It's, you know, it's cathartic. To watch a horror film, you, you know, work through these feelings and you also can just sit back and say, wow, well, at least my life's better than that guy's, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that guy just lost both hands and turned into a demon. You know, that's something like that. Right. But but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I didn't phrase it well by saying, does it go down easier? I think more people will consume it if you package it inside a genre film like horror or science fiction. Absolutely.
2: Well, and I, and I think, too, you'll have people of... Go, I think like you're saying like goes down easier. Like if it's just about the trauma and the horror of losing a child, and and having to deal with not uh, owning up to the things that you have done in your life, like just as a drama, people would be like, oh, it is hard to watch. And a horror movie is like, oh, it's hard to watch. And I was scared the whole time. Like that's like a totally different selling point versus mm-hmm. just like a really hard drama where it's like nobody is taking responsibility for their actions, and this child is dead.
0: Right, right. I I think I think that's the case for any difficult theme in a film. I mean, yes, there is a place for for films that don't package it in something else and just are excellent dramas or whatever. But like I even think about children's films like Inside Out is a fun way to deal with. Depression and anger and all these emotions that kids can feel and and what they mean and like Pixar did an amazing job packaging that into something that was digestible and and fun. Right. <laughs> so I th- I think that, that that goes the same for for horror.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it just reminds me of like the fact you know Grimm's fairy tales you know did not start as these children's stories. They were these moral lessons packaged into something else. I think that's just something innately human as a about storytellers of like it's about this but we're telling it this way right or the best stories I guess
0: follow-up question Mm -hmm. were either of Annie's parents or her brother actually mentally ill or was their behavior all directly tied to Ellen Lay's cult activities Mm. Mm.
1: yeah this is my question you know is it really generational mental illness she didn't have an easy life she had DID which became extreme
2: at the end and dementia And my father died when I was a baby from starvation um, because he had psychotic depression. And he starved himself, which I'm sure was just as pleasant as it sounds. And then there's my brother. My older brother had schizophrenia. And when he was 16, he hanged himself in my mother's bedroom. And of course, his suicide no blamed her, accusing her of putting people inside him.
1: And the first time you watch this movie, you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like classic schizophrenic sort of thing.
2: Mm -hmm, But But it's
1: literally what she's doing or at least if not a person she's literally trying to put you know this demon into his body
2: yeah no for real (laughs) there's there's this (laughs) stuff yeah like i i read the wikipedia before i watched this movie and so going through (laughs) like being able to catch a lot of that foreshadowing Mm -hmm. um, beforehand like i could definitely see how this is a movie that as hard as it would be to watch a second time you would get a lot out of it that second time
1: Yeah, definitely. There were things I didn't even notice the first time. I didn't notice a lot of the uh, tricks with the light, where the light sort of leads your focus to look at something in particular. Mm -hmm. And the words, I didn't know what the words on the walls meant. So I had to go look those up, you know, satiny and zazas and leaf toe and what was the other one? Pandemonium. Okay. That Annie finds around the house.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, they they mention in the film that she has, that Ellen, anyway, has, you know, dissociative identity disorder and develops dementia, of course, at the end of her life. Mm. I mean, at least the latter is certainly like an actual thing that happens to her body, not something that is a result of the, the cult.
1: Right. Yeah. I wonder if the DID is, did she have dissociative identity disorder or is it she had to be sort of two different, uh, conduct herself in two very different ways between how she acted with her family and how she acts with the rest of the cult because she was the leader. right? And that requires a lot of charisma and influence. And Annie was saying in, the, in her eulogy that sometimes, you know, when you were getting along, uh, she could be the sweetest, warmest person in the world.
0: Right. hmm Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I I, I, I truly don't know what, I I think that the film, my personal opinion, because I don't think the film alludes to any way either heavily, is that yes, these people are still inflicted with forms of mental illness, Hmm. because they show, you know, a lot of the telltale signs and characteristics of the various forms of mental illness that that plague them,
1: I would agree with that mm-hmm.
0: it is exasperated in my opinion, by the fact that there is an underlying current of dread and and deceit in this family, and no one knows that Ellen is literally grooming her grandson to you know become the king of whatever I can't remember what the actual phrase is. what is it the uh,
1: uh he's one of the eight kings of hell, supposedly uh payman he's a follower of Lucifer.
0: So yeah, it, it, all that seems to exasperate mental illness absolutely, but but at least in my opinion, I think there's still everyone in this family could really benefit from a therapist. As, oh, yeah. and, a, and a psychiatrist, <laughs> as, as David put in our docket.
2: It's just the while I'm watching, them am like, will somebody please go to therapy. Will somebody, will this family sit down with a therapist for twenty minutes? I don't think going to fix their problems. All right. The, the dinner scene, especially. Mm. when peter is like trying to push he's trying to get her to blame him for charlie's death because he blames himself and he's like trying to push her to get to say it and she like whoa and i'm like like a therapist should be here (laughs) right now this should be happening (laughs) in a therapist's office not steve who's just like all right we're gonna stop talking about this right now like what i mean why would i want to say something so i could watch you sneer at me Sneer at you? I don't ever sneer no. at you. Oh, <laughs> sweetie, you don't have to. You get your point across. Okay, so fine. Then say what you <sighs> want to say, then. Hey, Dad. I don't want to say anything. I've tried saying Okay, thing. so try again. Release yourself. Oh, release you, you mean? Yeah, fine. Release me. Just say it. Just fucking say don't it. Don't you swear at me, you little s***! Don't you ever raise your voice at me! I am your mother! Uh, yeah, like, it's like, come on, guys. Like, structured conversation would go such a far away for all of you.
1: I got the impression. I think Steve is a therapist. It's just you're not supposed to be a therapist for your own family. He's trying to get everybody to go see Dr. Mason.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, He's a psychiatrist. Uh, Yeah. He's just, yeah, but he's too close to the situation. Right. I mean, he's hurting too. Like, he's in his own pain over what happened.
1: I, oh, God, poor. I was just thinking the second time I watched them I like, jeez, poor
2: Steve. Steve,
1: <laughs> nobody's well, helping Steve. Nobody's supporting Steve. and
2: Steve is just trying to keep this family going like yeah, right. he's just
0: trying to make this house a home after everything yeah. that's <laughs> that's happening. He's just getting he's completely powerless to the entire situation. He can't do anything mm-hmm. to 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 beneficially or adversely affect it. It's just going to be inflicted upon him
2: yeah and like he's trying to he's like, You know, don't you sign up for the the s a t thing like he is just d- doing what he can to like keep things normal, right He's like making dinner mm. while Annie is processing the trauma like he is just trying to keep the day to day happening, which is very admirable, given everything that's happening,
0: yeah, does he have the worst fate of all, or does he get off easy as long as we're talking about Steve? I don't know being burned alive it seems like <laughs> seems like that sucks, yeah, that's bad
1: that is bad that, would, that I mean, would in be contrast dumb. to
0: some of the other deaths in the film, I don't know. Charlie's is like instant, so I mean
2: well she ha- she's going through anaphylactic shock for a while, oh before yeah, that, yeah, so. that really
0: sucks too man every every death in this film really sucks uh, right
2: I, I mean don't it's know been
1: tragic much, death all the way along,
2: yeah <laughs> it's tragic know? deaths all the way down
1: with yeah with with Annie's father, you know starving himself to death and her brother hanging himself and then her mother dying of dementia. And then her daughter dying by decapitation. <laughs> her husband dies being burned alive. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of no wonder she snaps.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the least surprising thing. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. It's almost surprising that it doesn't happen earlier that she isn't fully possessed earlier in the film.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, though, if Steve gets off easier, easier to answer your question, Nicole. <laughs>
1: it's just less psych... I mean, he still goes through psychological trauma, but he sort of get seems to get less of it than everybody else in the family.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I see that. Though it did strike me again the second time I watched this, just how completely powerless he is over everything happening.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: So... Using grotesque images as horror, David, you kind of touched on this a little bit, right? Like shoving the kid's yeah. decapitated head in your face.
2: And I know that this is a thing that Ari Aster has been doing in his films. Like I know, Nicole, I know you have a lot of thoughts on um, Midsommar <clears> and the way that he uses physical deformities to show horror. And you're not the only one. I'm just using you as a, a touch point because I, I right. remember seeing your thoughts on it. And I've heard other people talk about it in the same way where it's, yeah, just like this, like, ah, oh, isn't this really bad to look at? And uh, I, right. know, I, I guess for some people that works. But for me, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to look at it. That's not what I come to movies for, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a fine line. Um, I think if it serves, if it really does serve a narrative purpose, I'm all for it. Um, there are, you know, a number of incredibly grotesque scenes in horror films that I think are fairly necessary to them.
2: Yeah. I, I what think you're call- I just,
0: what you're calling out in particular, I do agree.
2: Yeah. Um, like I, you know, and, and I, I'm fine with like, oh man, that person's hand just got shoved into a blender when it's cartoony and wild. Like I'm down right. for an <laughs> old, 70s kind of grindhouse gore, like because that stuff's just so like, right? Versus like, oh no, that's that looks real. I don't want, I don't want that.
1: Right in the 70s, they took it as a challenge. You know, they're like, what's the most extreme thing we could do, and how much blood can we throw on the screen, and yeah, how do we get this effect to work where it'll spurt directly at the camera, kind of thing. Like,
2: and, and I will say, like the thing, the thing is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. not just like a horror movies. This is one of my favorite movies of all time and that's that movie is filled with grotesque images but it's also like so otherworldly that it's like totally different
0: did either of you ever end up seeing the northman no
1: no not yet
0: oh my god it might have to come around as a new tattoo hint hint so <laughs> yeah the northman when me and my wife left it she found the movie incredibly distressing And I've reached the point of desensitization for sure. Like there are very few things in film that seem to distress me anymore, which is probably a deep psychological problem. But separate (laughs) of that, the Northman therapy, (laughs) I need to go to therapy about the media I've consumed, quite honestly, as a millennial who has grown up with the Internet and been exposed to pretty much everything horrific. But, you know, my internal trauma aside, uh, (laughs) the Northman is. Horrific. It's an intense movie and it is part Shakespeare, part Norse mythology, part just we're going to shove violence in your face. Mm-hmm. And it was way too much for my wife. She was like, This movie's cool. I love the Hamlet angle. I love the visuals. I love the story. I love the acting. But oh my God, I can't go to dinner after this movie. I feel so physically <laughs> ill. And I couldn't. Quite relate to it, but I did understand what scenes made her feel that way. So yeah, I, I, that is a thing in in filmmaking, certainly. Or like for example, that movie's gorgeous. I don't know if it needs to go that hard in those aspects. So yeah, I think right. I think filmmakers are still kind of finding that line. I mean, that's also made by the the same dude that made like the Vavich and stuff. So I refuse to call it the <laughs> witch that font is stupid.
2: I also always call it the Vavich every time I see it. <laughs> the Vavich. So, well, right. Uh, like in
1: this movie, how closely do we need to look at Ellen's blackened, maggot riddled body? You know,
2: God. right. Yeah,
1: (laughs) do we need those loving close-ups? No,
0: I do love how Ellen is not credited (laughs) in the credits, and Ari Aster would just go and talk about how she's like, oh yeah, she's the sweetest person in the world. She's just like everyone's grandma. Everyone loves her, but they didn't even credit her in the film. And I was trying to find out why he would have done that. I don't know if it was just to like pick a random woman that most people wouldn't recognize to make the character more ominous, and not even give a name to the face. I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, she doesn't do any actual acting, really, other than make particular faces for photographs that we see.
0: Correct. Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't know. Maybe it's a SAG thing that they couldn't give her credit or something.
0: Hey, hey, this woman's been in many law and order. So she is <laughs> she is qualified.
2: Yeah, maybe because she like doesn't actually appear on film or like isn't in a speaking role.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
2: Mm, you know, there's there's a lot of really crazy rules about how all that works that I don't really understand because I'm not in it.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. She's also in old. OK, I never saw old, but I feel like I would hate it.
1: So. I did not see old either. Alex Wolf is also in old. Apparently,
0: no, I just feel like old is a movie designed for me to hate. I just feel like if you
1: I could- suspect you would from what I've heard.
0: If you could just tailor make a movie for me the hate, it would be like half of M.I. <laughs> Shyamalan's recent movies. So, all right. Um, speaking of horror. So let's, let's talk about some other stuff here. Um, a lot of clever scene transitions with match cuts or, or links, scenes linked through a single piece of sound design to carry through, such as the crying that you mentioned earlier, Nicole. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ari Aster. I would love to see him do something beyond even horror at some point, because mm-hmm. I think he's so talented. And I want more people to be exposed to his style. But I think he's just so good at horror that he's just going to stay there.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know. But I mean, I just love there's at least twice in this movie, there's a slam cut from either day to night or night to day. Yeah. Where it's just the same shot of the outside. And it's like someone flicked, like someone turned off the sun with a light switch kind of thing where it goes from full dark to full light or vice versa. So, and it's just such a clever way of showing the passage of time while still keeping the continuity of feeling.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get into some of the meat of why this film is considered controversial in some ways. There are ways in which this film could be read as transphobic and ableist that we shouldn't gloss over as we're spending lots of time praising it. Nicole, why don't you take it away in terms of, you know, what, What these communities largely take umbrage with.
1: Well, I mean, the Ari Aster in both of his major movies now have used children, or at least the images of children with disabilities, as to magnify what's going on or to make you feel more uneasy. In the film, um, Millicent Shapiro, who plays Charlie, has cledocranial dysplasia, which is the same condition that uh, and Matarazzo from Stranger Things has with the lack of collarbones right. and the mm-hmm. unusual teeth and other various skeletal issues. And I suspect that she was cast partly because she looks a little unusual. I don't find her appearance upsetting. But it Mm -hmm. is slightly unusual. Yeah. And I think that's sort of thrown in to be like, hey, isn't this kid extra weird? And I especially don't like it. Like, after seeing the the behind-the-scenes stuff where they interview Millie Shapiro, she is the – it's kind of funny how she's this sweet, bubbly – uh, excited girl who super loves acting and thought it was shooting that scene where she's hanging out the car window was the best thing in the world because she oh. got to do her own <laughs> stunt and they had her like <laughs> harnessed into the car. So she said, you know, I got to stick my head out the window where we were going like 30 miles an hour. It was great. Oh, it was man. like being on a roller coaster.
2: <laughs> <laughs> as and long as she had a good time, you know. She did.
1: <laughs> she, it was very clear she had a good time shooting this film. But I wish Ari Aster would stop using that as a crutch mm-hmm. to sort of amp up the horror in his movies. You know, there's a the kid in Midsummer is supposed to look like he's been the product of inbreeding for generations. Mm, right. uh, he has facial differences, and I I want Ari Aster to stop doing that because he's such a good filmmaker. He doesn't need to do it. It's not necessary to add anything to the vibe. He's able to pull it off without that. Agreed. And I wish he would stop. But the the transphobic is something that I didn't think about at first, but the <laughs> Payman does not want a female host. King Payman is portrayed with a feminine face, but wants a male body. And Charlie says that at one point, Grandma wanted me to be a boy. Annie thinks she means just, you know, well, I was a tomboy and this, that, and the other, but no, really wants a male body. And it's like, the reason I would call that kind of transphobic is just that trans people are working to have it respected that they do not feel like the physical gender they were born with and it doesn't help to have that advocacy coming from a demon that's trying to possess somebody
0: (laughs) interesting To,
1: to have that seen as demonic. I mean, that's like more, it's more fuel to the fire. It's like more artillery for the more evangelical people to be like, see, see it's demonic wanting, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. This is from the devil if you think you're in the wrong body kind of thing.
2: Right. Yeah. I could see that being a read on the Interesting. film.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I could see that. I could also see it not not being intentional to give Ari Aster the benefit I of the can doubt. I
1: definitely see it. I don't think it was intentional. I don't.
0: Yeah. Interesting. No, I, I I that's a fair criticism and I understand I understand where folks are coming from in that regard. As long as you're talking about evangelical people, I just apparently found out uh, a moment ago that the the woman playing Ellen is not credited because she is a uh, devout Mormon who did not realize she was shooting for a horror film.
2: <laughs> well, there you oh. go,
0: and was horrified to discover what she was in, and requested to be uncredited, and has not seen the movie to this day.
2: <laughs> oh wow! Well, asked and answered.
0: Read, read before you sign, Ellen. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah, they did shoot uh, the exteriors in Salt Lake City. So
0: that tracks. All right. There you that go. That would track with
1: casting people who are Mormon.
0: Yeah, Interesting. Um, is there any canonical like I don't know a ton about payment. And, you know, to my understanding, in an interview I read with Ari Aster, he noted that he specifically chose payment because he didn't just want it to be the devil again mm-hmm. because that was too easy. He wanted it to be something more nuanced. Right. I don't know if there is some sort of weird canonical reasoning that, like, I don't know, like that that Payman takes male hosts or what. I don't know. I don't know um, if there's anything there or not. But I, I get the criticism. I totally get that.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I looked into it a little bit. I watched a couple of uh, YouTube videos that people had made about it to say, you know, here's the history of Payman. And he first is mentioned in a book from 1577 called pseudo monarchia demonium sure uh, sure as a follower of lucifer of course later on there's a book called the lesser key of solomon that's like this alistair crowley occult foolishness um (sighs) (laughs) so and it's just more about what Payman's abilities and powers are and just often portrayed with the feminine face riding a camel following a procession that's playing cymbals and trumpets.
0: Wow, that sounds obnoxious. And
1: that's what the sort of triumphant music at the end is supposed to evoke, is the trumpets and cymbals.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. And goodness, is that obnoxious way to introduce yourself at all times in your perception. Oh, <laughs> <Well>, sure. Uh,
1: <laughs> Here you're coming from a mile away.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I I truthfully wouldn't think about that in this film. But I understand where folks are coming from with that, most certainly. Uh, let's talk about the cults a little bit. The way cults prey on people's vulnerable moments, just kind of as a whole, right? Like we see it in this film. Mm-hmm. But this is also kind of the cult thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just thought it was um, interesting to uh, to have that be part of it because uh, I saw like the scene when they're in the um, the parking lot, and Joan is like, "Oh my gosh!" And, like the way she's talking to her so specifically about like I had this way to talk to my my dead grandchild again. I was just like, I was like, "Oh, this is all so very orchestrated," uh, right. and, and oh, so yeah. like coincidental, right? And it's just like, it's very clearly trying to get this hurt woman mm-hmm. to buy into this. And I was just like, huh, interesting.
0: Oh, yeah. The way the way Joan transplants herself into that group is so evil and premeditated.
1: Right. And I mean, even more so in that scene, if you look very carefully, at, you only see it in passing. Joan's got chalkboards that she just bought in the back of her car. Oh, really? So... Yeah,
0: I didn't catch that.
1: So that she's, it's part of what she's loading up into the back of her car, waiting for Annie to come out. So, but yeah, Joan is love bombing her. Yeah, which is a classic cult thing. You know, she's like, Here, "Yeah, I see you, I accept you, I empathize with you." She keeps touching her. Yeah, which is she's very maternal toward her, which is something that Ellen apparently rarely was, because Annie doesn't seem like a tremendously at least when we encounter her a a tremendously demonstrative person which she probably got from her mother being
0: yeah would would agree with that yeah that's interesting and that is certainly the portrayal of cults and it seems to be how they operate in real life as well uh david you'll you'll get this reference but i can't help but think about the deep (laughs) in the boys that's the most recent person i've seen get get involved in a cult in media besides this just get love-bombed by the cult (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah. Very similar. It's just like, we accept you. You're great. Right. But also, we're exploiting you for our own ill-gotten gains in both scenarios.
0: Right. Right. Check out the boys on Amazon Prime.
1: We accept you exactly the way you are, and now you have to sacrifice everything to stay with us.
0: Exactly. Yeah. How much awareness does Charlie have of her role?
1: Yeah, this is something I can't get a read on, because... Millicent Shapiro plays it like she's not a normal kid, definitely. You know, she's doing Martha Stewart crafts with pigeon heads.
2: But <laughs> right. She,
1: but it seems like Payman was put into Charlie's body, at least for, you know, for temporary from the time she was a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, her sure. grandmother gave her this bottle that had these herbs in it and the, The herbs in particular are supposed to be Dittany of Crete, which, among other properties, is supposed to make one more vulnerable to possession. And it's in Annie's tea later. That's what she plucks off her tongue when she's having tea at Joan's house. So payment supposedly, and Ariaster has said payment's in there from the beginning for Charlie. Right. But it feels like, you know, right after the funeral, when Charlie's acting worried, you know, who's going to take care of me and, I mean, when you die, and seems sort of mystified by some of the cult goings on around her. So, it's like, Payman's in there, but maybe not awake?
0: hmm That's a vibe I get, for sure.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Because why would she be scared when she's going into anaphylactic shock if she's trying to get rid of the body? Mm-hmm. Because earlier, when her father comes up to the treehouse and says, This is how you catch pneumonia, she says, That's okay. Right. So, I don't know.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I definitely read it as like a payment has yet to awaken sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting. I didn't really think about that.
1: And that's why Joan has to explain it at the end. Yeah. So like, here, you are payment.
2: Right. This is- it all comes together. It does,
0: it does <laughs> The ambient soundtrack in this film was very unique It's, like, David, do you want to speak to it first of all?
2: No, it's, I mean, it just reminded me a little bit of Like, it follows in the way that, like This, it's the sound that's all around It's not like, it's not instrumental It's not musical I would say it follows a little more musical Like, I do listen to that one sometimes mm-hmm. Especially when you have a deadline coming up Oh, that that really <laughs> motivates you <laughs> But it's it's sound and it's not always uh, like, it's not like a cacophony of sound, mm-hmm. but it's not a soundtrack sort of in that traditional sense of like instrumental music. Right. But it is like setting the the tone of the scenes right. um, still in a way that a soundtrack should.
1: Like a soundscape. Right. Kind yeah. of. I I do get that. And there are parts where there's no soundtrack where it drops out Mm -hmm. entirely. Yeah. And you're just hearing the sound as the sounds in the house, particularly. That seems to happen a lot where you hear, you know, footsteps when there shouldn't be Mm -hmm. or creaks in places where there should not be, or Charlie clicking her tongue in the corner of the bedroom.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the tongue clicking.
1: After she is dead.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the composer did note about how he designed this perfectly in a way where he wanted every scene to just feel evil. That was very important to him.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, It's Colin Stetson.
0: Yeah, he said in some films, obviously there are a lot of things you are fixing as a composer, be it lazy writing or a script that's not quite there, performances that aren't cutting it, or a bloated edit, but there was nothing to fix in this. Ari did a fantastic job. The actors absolutely killed it. For me, it was an enormous project. It was 85 minutes of music, and he was working sixteen hours a day to put this together. And, you know, he decided that the idea of hiding in plain sight was operative to him. That he wanted this to always just be that ubiquitous drone in the background Mm. so it's very effective it's a really good horror score for what it's intended to do
2: absolutely yeah
1: right apparently Ari Aster listened to a lot of his music while he was writing it
0: okay sure so
1: he couldn't imagine anybody else doing the score for it when he was done
0: oh nice oh interesting all right yeah very cool the film is often dim and slash or very quiet, forcing audience participation as well.
1: Yeah, that was something that somebody pointed out on uh, something about the psychological trickery in hereditary is that when the brain has reduced sensory input, it tries to fill in the blanks itself. Right. Yeah. Like when the camera points at a dim corner of the room, you try really hard to figure out what's in that corner. And your brain can play tricks on you as to, you know, here's that shape that looks like someone sitting in a chair, but really it's a coat.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's forced claustrophobia throughout this entire film. I mean, like I said at the top of the show, the idea of the dollhouse and just this impending terror inside of this ever closing space. This is one of those films that doesn't have a lot of sets because it's filmed largely in the house, Mm -hmm. in the treehouse.
1: Well, the house is sets. They built that specifically for their purposes.
0: Well, right. What I mean is like, is like there are not a plethora of locations rather.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's mostly the house and the treehouse for everything.
0: Yeah. Treehouses are a no go after this movie. Just writ large.
1: Although, honestly, it's the sturdiest treehouse I've ever seen in a movie. It looks like it would hold. It's a very
0: sturdy treehouse. It it holds
2: a lot of people. It holds
0: a lot of people. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which, what is it with Ari Aster and naked old people? (laughs) Good question, Nicole.
1: Yeah, they show up again in Midsummer.
0: Yeah, they do. File that under Tarantino's toes. Um, (sighs) I don't quite know what Ari Aster's got going here. Is it a horror crutch? Is it just because it makes people uncomfortable? I don't know.
1: I think it's a culty, you know, pseudo-religious sort of thing where you're being completely vulnerable to whatever deity you're invoking.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Although Joan gets to wear a robe at the end, which is good, I'm glad. <laughs> Did not need yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad she got to keep some some dignity. Right. Um, <laughs> although it is really the little bit of humor I saw at the end is where Peter looks in the corner of the attic and sees the three naked people standing there. And that one woman gives him like this little wave of <sighs> yeah. her fingers. And she had waved to Charlie the exact same way earlier in the movie mm-hmm. from across the street. And it's just a quick callback. I'm like, Oh, Oh goodness. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, That's
1: her. And then he, you know, he throws himself out the window.
2: Well, yeah, that was the smartest move in the movie.
1: But that well, let
2: me get out of this as fast as possible.
1: Right. Yeah. That dimness it made for a really interesting experience in the movie theater that shot in the end where Peter wakes up, you know, he's got his nose broken. He wakes up in pain and a little disoriented and the camera backs out and so you can see the upper half of this room. And it was in my audience in the theater. There was this ripple of you could see people noticing fine up in the corner, the top left corner of the frame, seeing Annie up on the ceiling. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. You know, and I poked Brian sitting next to me. He's like, yeah, yeah, I see it. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, that was just fascinating. Apparently some people don't see it at
0: all. Really?
1: Yeah. Which I didn't get, but I, I get looking back on it. Why? Because there are some red herrings where the camera pulls back and you expect to see something. And it's, it doesn't right. appear, you know, there's a shot in the mother's room of Annie looking in from the doorway and you see this mirror next to the door frame. That's just this complete blank. And I'm sitting there staring at that mirror, waiting for a ghost to pop up in it. And it doesn't happen. Right. There are times where you look into corners and nothing is there.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. So
1: sometimes some people turned that off apparently near the end of the movie and so they didn't notice Annie up in the corner at all.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. One thing I do love about the finale of this movie as as bonkers as it gets is just the just the visual of the headless ghosts like terrorizing this house is just so horrific and interesting and sounds like anything I've ever seen in a film. Mm. I mean, that's the thing that, that, that really, as we start to close the show and think about whether or not it's a future classic, that's what gets me with hereditary is that both the, the style in which it's told and the family drama combined with very unique occult and horror imagery that I've not really seen in a film before is so different just, just from anything. And and it, it's just very singular. This movie as a whole, I do want to get to the last discussion topic we had which was Annie is upset that Peter seems to be refusing responsibility but when it comes to her past actions she's been doing the same yeah
2: yeah <laughs> yeah the way she talks about the paint thinner story mm-hmm. is like no I do, like I didn't mean to do it so like I shouldn't have to apologize for it he has to understand it was an accident like you know I didn't mean to it's like no you have to take responsibility Right. Right. You were sleepwalking. Yes, absolutely. But you still like were the one doing these actions, you know, like deal with that. But she's just like, no, why can't he understand that I was sleepwalking? It's like, okay, well, he maybe could if you were like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, I scared you. And we're not just like, I didn't mean to do it. Get over it.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, whether or not you intend to cause harm, if you do, you need to take responsibility for it and apologize.
0: Exactly. Right. So therapy man be very helpful for everyone in the <laughs> therapy. And she
1: won't do it and she's angry at Peter for not accepting responsibility for the accident. Right. Even though it is the most wildly improbable thing that could have happened. I mean, yes, he he definitely has some responsibility in that he went and got stoned instead of watching out and making sure his sister didn't eat anything that she should not. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually the least believable part to me is that she goes off to a party, eats something with visible nuts in it.
2: Yeah. And
1: <laughs> doesn't have the EpiPen along with them.
2: Right. You, know? yeah, you, you tend to carry those things with you if they could save your life. Right.
1: Right. If you've got a nut allergy that severe that it causes anaphylactic reactions, then you carry those everywhere.
0: Right. Well, hereditary, as we wrap up, future classic, Uh, any final thoughts as we begin the circle whether or not we agree with Nicole? No. Uh,
1: You guys should agree with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I do. I do. I didn't like this movie the first time I saw it, but going back and revisiting it, I do understand why people consider it to be such a masterpiece. It clicked with me a little bit more this time. And I think it's because this movie demands that level of unease from me. It was hard for me to catch that the first time around because I was just so distressed by it. But coming back into it a second time around, yeah, Ari Aster is a master of atmosphere. Mm -hmm. He's he's a master of that slow build intention as the movie gets increasingly intense. I I enjoyed it. I I would agree, Nicole. I think this is going to be something that horror fans look at for a very long time, especially as the debut of someone who is surely going to be increasingly prolific in the genre.
2: Yeah. All the way in, I I would agree. I think uh, this is a movie like Ari Aster is is a name that I was well aware with even before watching either of his movies. And... I think it's easy to see why like he is going to have an influence on horror in a way. I think like him and Jordan Peele are two people that are having a strong influence on the genre right now. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy watching this movie to see why. And in like two years we'll kind of like get sick of people trying to do the Ari Aster thing uh, again and again and again. But that's not, that's not a mark against this movie. It's like this movie is going to clearly be so very influential in a number of ways. And yeah, I mean, like, it's very suspenseful and uh, can be super terrifying. But, you know, it's I think if you are interested at all in horror and gory images don't trigger anything for you, check this film out for sure.
0: Agreed. Very much so. Well, right.
2: yeah, I think.
1: Sorry, I just wanted to yeah. quickly say I, th- I think that Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, Jordan Peele are like the new maybe. um Oh, I'm blanking. The guy who just directed Dr. Sleep. Um,
0: Mike Flanagan.
1: Mike Flanagan. Thank you. Mike Flanagan are part of this new generation of horror directors that makes me very eager to see what any of them are going to come up with next because they're so psychologically directed and yet also such great craftspeople that I'm looking forward to seeing how they can mess with my head next
2: (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's it, they're the names that sell movies, right? It's mm-hmm. you see, like, oh, it's a movie from Ari Aster, and you're like, okay, I'm intrigued. Like where you we once were with M Night Shyamalan, where now you see M Night Shyamalan's name on a film, you're like, oh, huh?
1: Do I bother?
2: Right? Yeah. <laughs> is this one of his like, no, no, no? We swear he's getting good again, or one of the like, we don't know what happened. It's bad again, movies.
1: Yeah, but, like yeah, is seeing this like, a visit or is it old?
2: Right. <laughs> Uh, like a visit, you know, like like you're going to see the movies now being like from visionary director Ari Aster. It's going to be like,
0: hmm. yeah, for sure. Right on. Well, that wraps us for future classics of movie ghoul around this year. A reminder, next week we are moving on to Around the World. It's going to be the Guatemalan La Llorona. Be sure to check that out and watch with us for next week. But let's go around the horn so we can find everybody online. Nicole, where are you at?
1: I am on letterboxed at Nicole underscore Davis.
0: And you, David. Davlas, that's D A V L U Z, Twitter, and Instagram. Find me there. And find me on Twitter at I Am Brett Stewart. Find the show, social.mgrpodcast.com. We'll see you next week with Around the World.